Hi, welcome back to the As You Are podcast. Today, we are back in the book of John, chapters 11 and 12. Jesus literally raises somebody from the dead, and then a lot of interesting stuff happens after that. So we're going to talk about this, talk about what it meant for them, what it means for us. So settle in. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Gosh, my AirPod is acting up. As usual, this is so frustrating, and it's perfectly on brand with how we're feeling today. Full disclosure. <laughs> we are both feeling a little bit like, I don't know, mate. That was the word that came to mind. It was just like, blah. Um, blah. And that's okay. Sometimes it's that way. And then, yeah, in all honesty, I think we're both a little bit like, all right, we're still in John. Yeah. It does sometimes feel like, oh, man, I'm really not in the mood to dive in. But yeah. I will say that in my experience, once I start going, I get really encouraged. Yes, 100%. So I agree. Here's the main thing. I'm going to pray really quick before we get started that, you know, this sort of ugh feeling will go away. And if any of you girls out there are feeling the same way, I just applaud you for pressing play <laughs> on the podcast and getting ready to dive into scripture with us. So here we go. God, we love you so much. And what an honor it is to be able to study your word and talk openly about our faith. I know that not everywhere is that such a luxury. And I pray that today you would meet with us and that no matter what season we're in right now, whether we're feeling extremely encouraged or we're feeling extremely discouraged, or if we have tons of energy or none at all, that you would meet us right where we are and provide a word or an encouragement for us that meets us in that spot. So we love you. And this is all for you in Jesus name. We pray. Amen. Amen. Can you remind me what we talked about last week? Like what stood out to us last week? I forgot already. No, that's fine. So last week, yes, we talked about Jesus healing the man born blind and, um, calling himself the good shepherd. And I think we really focused a lot on the fact that, um, like what it means to be a sheep and for Jesus to be our shepherd and the fact that sheep are kind of dumb. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is like, <laughs> this is such proof that we're sheep. There you go. I'm like, what did we yes. talk about last week? I didn't do my sticky notes. Yep. Um, this is your reminder to make your sticky note. I am a sheep and Jesus is the <laughs> shepherd. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes we're going to forget, which is fine. <laughs> Yeah. That was the main stuff from last yeah, week. Yeah, that's great. Which I'm going to make, great. I'm literally writing down right now. <laughs> I am I'm a sheep. sheep. <laughs> I'm a sheep. Don't forget. I honestly anyway. kind of forgot that too in, until I feel like my brain just opened up and was like, this is what you <laughs> talked about last week. Yeah. It's so important because yes, exactly. how cool that he knows that we are forgetful and like this, but he yeah. still pursues us. So, um, today we're talking about chapters 11 and 12 yep. and this sort of like concludes the first part of John is what I yeah, read in my study Bible. So it's tell true. us about so, 11. Yeah. So chapter 11 is it's Jesus's last 
big miracle sign. Um, John calls them different signs. I think we talked about it in some of the first episodes about how there were seven big signs or miracles that Jesus performs. One of them was Jesus healing the man born blind that we talked about last week. And then this week we're talking about in chapter 11 when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And what's so cool, I mean, y'all, there's, I like remember reading this story my senior year of college, and it resonated with me so deeply. I was a young life leader in college, and I remember being like, I'm giving a club talk on this. Like, I just, I talked about it a lot. And as I was studying it again, trying to like remember why it was so important, I felt like other things were standing out to me, but I couldn't really remember like, what was it about John chapter 11, my second semester senior year that made me be like, wow, I love this story. But that's what's so cool about the Bible is it's living and active. So like some of the stuff that stood out to me this time wouldn't have stood out to me before. So the Feast of the Booths is still happening. Our timeline is about to like majorly slow down. So we've kind of been like in the beginning of John, it, it jumps a lot whether it's like days, weeks, or years. And now we're going to start slowing down because we're coming towards the end of Jesus's life. Um, All right, this is John chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to Jesus saying, Lord, He whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. All right, now we're skipping down to verse 11. It says, after saying these things, because Jesus had like a little side conversation with his disciples that we're not going to read for the sake of time. It says that after saying these things, he said to his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. <laughs> I love that. They're like, he's just <laughs> taking a nap. He's going to wake up. And Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Y'all, in these first 11 verses, we are told and we see Jesus loved Lazarus and his sisters, Martha and Mary. They're like really good friends. Yeah, they're really good friends. And like, like John tells us, that he loves them. Jesus tells us that he loves them. Like clearly he cares for this family. And what's crazy, I was listening to a sermon by, of course, Tim Keller. (laughs) And he said in the NIV, the translation of verse five is now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, yet he stayed two days longer. But he was like a more accurate translation of that verse is now Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Therefore, he stayed. Yet kind of implies like he loved them, but mm, he couldn't get there in time. And the therefore implies he loved them, so he stayed. Essentially what Jesus is doing. is letting him die. He's letting Lazarus die. 
but it's because he loves them, which is so confusing. Like, obviously, we have the full picture. We can see the whole story. But for Mary and Martha, they have sent word to Jesus that their brother is sick and probably going to die. And they probably heard back from Jesus, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified. So they are now, like, excited when they get that news back from Jesus. Oh, he's not going to die. Jesus said the illness doesn't lead to death. And then a day goes by and Jesus doesn't come and their brother gets worse. And then another day goes by and Jesus doesn't come and their brother gets worse. And then their brother dies. Mm -hmm. And so just imagining the like confusion, they did what we all should do in like any type of hard circumstance. They turned to Jesus first. Like their first response is, I need to, we need to get Jesus here. Like he can heal him. We trust that he has the power to heal him. And so they go to him first and then they, he tells them he's not going to die. And then he dies. Can you imagine? Like, oh, it would be so hard. It would be so hard. And I think it's easy to gloss over that part because we know Jesus ends up coming and raising Lazarus from the dead and he doesn't actually die. But if you're there, right. like in the, and that's whatever, I think it's two days that he waits and then another, then Lazarus dies. And then four days later, Jesus comes. Well, anytime you know the whole story of something, like, I don't know about y'all, but I love spoilers with like books, TV shows, <laughs> anything. I'm like, I need to know what's going to happen so that I can relax while I'm watching the show or while I'm reading the book. <laughs> like, I literally have to. And so my sister-in-law makes fun of me because she hates spoilers and so does Michael. So they're always like, do not tell me any spoilers. And I'm like trying to find them and looking them up. Oh my gosh. But I feel like it's sort of a picture of what it's like to trust God because yeah, basically when you're trusting him, you're acting like I already have the spoilers. Like I already know that it's going to turn out for his glory. And so can I yeah. rest in the midst of grief? Can I rest in the midst of things going differently than I wanted them to go or different, differently than I thought they were going to go or differently than I thought I heard God say they were going to go? Can I just still trust mm -hmm. him? And right. it's hard. <laughs> it is really hard because the reality is like our day to day and our life, like we don't know, we don't know the ending, but we do right. know the ending. Do you get, yeah. you know what I mean? Like we don't know the pain and the suffering that we're going to walk through and the pain and the suffering that our loved ones are going to walk through. We don't know the outcomes of that, but at the same time we do because our hope is in Jesus and we can look to him and we know that no matter what, at the end of the day, we're loved by him, we're cared for by him, we're cherished by him, and we're going to be with him Right, and one day. if you fast forward like t five days Jesus and Lazarus are going to be having dinner together and it's going to be like a feast, you yeah, know, which is, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. And also so like, it's one of those things that, again, it's easy for us to say that being on this side of the microphone, like having the Bible right in front of us. But if you're actually walking yeah. through the death of a family member, like we aren't belittling those feelings. And we're going to see that in a second too from Jesus. Like his response to their grief is beautiful and it's not belittling yep. at all. Um, so I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep reading. We're skipping down a few verses. So Jesus, it tells us in verse 
17, now when Jesus came, so he ends up going to Bethany, to the village where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. As Jesus is still a little ways off, Martha, the sister of Lazarus, hears that he's there, and so she runs and finds him, tells him, my brother's dead. They have a conversation about that. We're going to skip down to verse 28. So then Martha goes and finds her sister Mary and tells her, the teacher is here and he is calling for you. And when Mary heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with Mary in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. One thing that's really important to know just about Jewish culture, so it says that when Jesus arrives to Bethany, Lazarus had been dead for four days. And in those days, they believed that the soul, I guess, of the person would kind of hover around the body for three days and then it would be gone and that person would be like officially, officially dead. Oh, wow. Um, So I think like that's just a fun little feather in your cap, fun fact, I guess, to know as you're reading it is like maybe even after Lazarus died, day one, day two, day three, they might have been thinking, well, he's going to come and like maybe... Maybe somehow, I don't know if they thought he could raise him from the dead. I kind of doubt it. But at this point, at the time that Jesus is arriving, it's like, there's no way. Like, in their mind. The soul is gone. Lazarus is dead. Dead, dead, dead. And Mary and Martha are heartbroken. Their response to Jesus makes sense. They're saying, if you had come, he wouldn't have died. Which also is crazy because it shows this faith that they still have in Jesus. Yep. You know, like... It's not, I mean, they're definitely angry, but they know, like, you could have healed him. And Jesus' response to them, I love it, because he doesn't, he doesn't stroll in, like, on a mighty big horse and be like, I'm going to raise him from the dead. Like, stop crying. Stop your weeping. He meets them in the grief. Yeah. And he weeps as well. And so that, like, for those of you that are walking through something that's really hard and that feels overwhelming. Jesus is not belittling your grief and he's not belittling your emotions. Like he weeps when he sees his children weep. He's, he doesn't want us to feel pain and sorrow, but he knows that sometimes we have to walk through that in order to experience more of him. Totally. And he knows that he's going to raise him from the dead. He knows that Lazarus will be alive in like five minutes (laughs) or I don't know how long it was. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He stops to be with them in that grief and he's deeply, deeply sad and moved with them. Mm -hmm. It just shows how, I don't know if you've ever believed that God is too big to care about 
your mm-hmm. little emotions or like what you're going through. It's just not at all true. Like he is so empathetic and cares deeply about how we feel. The thing is, sometimes he's just working on a bigger picture. He's yeah. still there with us in our grief. Like I, I love, um, I'm near to the brokenhearted and mm-hmm. there's so many, um, references throughout scripture of just how much he cares for us when we're hurting. But also I love that he is always working out a bigger picture that yeah. is bigger than us and still for, his glory and our good. So, and I think we can learn from Jesus too, like how to walk with our friends that are walking through something really hard. Like, yeah, we, we shouldn't be just coming in with like, God works all things for good. Like sometimes we are supposed to just sit with our friends and cry with them and mourn with them and be with them where they are. Yeah. He actually took time to cry with him before he did the miracle. <laughs> yeah. Which is great. Like it really is it's something cool. to think about. It's like he could have, he really could have come in and immediately raised Lazarus from the dead. Been like, see, it's all fine. But instead, see, stop he, crying. you're fine. Yeah. He acknowledges their feelings and he acknowledges where they are before bringing them through it. Yep. So to finish the story, it says, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Again, there's that four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. I got teary-eyed reading that. I'm like, for the first time seeing myself as Lazarus, And like Mm. me, uh, like us being spiritually dead and Jesus calling us to life and calling us out of our grave. I love at the end when he says unbind him, like what is it that is keeping us bound? Like what are the grave clothes that we're wearing that are keeping us from freedom? And Jesus is saying, let it go, like unbind unbind that thing like what what, anxiety I don't I don't know I don't know what it is I I just as I was reading that having that image of Jesus coming to all of us who are spiritually dead and saying come out I want I want you to live I want you to have life and life to the full right not life in a tomb and what parts of us is he allowing to die so that we can be Mm -hmm. spiritually raised and like full that's really cool yeah I mean I am the oldest probably not the oldest of our listeners (laughs) I do know my parents often listen (laughs) hey mom and dad (laughs) hi mom I'm the oldest of the as you are team and I've been through more because of that you know just all of us will go through 
life and experienced lots of things, but I feel like I've experienced multiple versions of parts of me dying off and like God allowing Mm, that to happen only to raise me from the dead and then have like, you'll see in just a minute when we talk about 12, but like have a feast afterwards, like things get Mm. better afterwards. They're 10 times better because you're like, you have experienced him and you're walking more closely with him and you're spiritually alive. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's really true. I do feel like there are multiple seasons looking back over my life where it feels like something in me had to die or I had to let go of something yeah. for the Lord to bring life and and trusting that he's going to replace whatever we're letting go of with something better. Um, so that gets us to chapter 12, which yep, I really and like. We end chapter 11 with the Pharisees being really angry. they always angry, though. <laughs> so, also, that's the thing, too. Uh, Tim Keller highlighted this. Like, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, he knows, like, this is going to this is the beginning of the end. Like once I raise Lazarus from the dead, the miracle is so powerful and it's going to cause such an uproar. It's going to like, it's going to lead to my death. Yeah. That gets us into chapter 12. Right before we get into chapter 12, it says in 11 verse 55, now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. I feel like deja vu every time I read that. (laughs) This is the third time that they've said the Passover was at hand. So that means when they're like marking (laughs) time when they say that. And so we've made it around to like the third year and Passover. Like I talked about a couple, I looked it up because I'm like, when was this? It was like in April ish, like in the spring, at least Easter and Passover week, I think are normally close. Yeah, they are. And actually we're about to talk about what we now celebrate as Palm Sunday, which is really cool if you don't know the history of that. So basically, um, I'm going to read John chapter 12, verse one, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at a table. So cool. <laughs> I know Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. I'm going to stop there. Okay. That's one through seven. So basically what's going on here and what's going to continue to happen is they are celebrating now that Lazarus has raised from the dead, but Jesus is also very aware that his hour has come, as we've talked about a lot. Before he says, my hour has yeah. not yet come, but now he knows, like, this is this is time. And this is yeah. um, they're having a dinner, which I literally wrote LOL next to this in my Bible because my study Bible said dinner refers to the main meal of the day, which was usually held towards the evening and the reclining at the table part may imply a banquet rather than a regular meal. People at special feasts would lie with their heads near a low table and their feet pointing (laughs) away from it, resting one elbow on the ground and eating with the other hand. (laughs) 
No way. Yeah. They literally would like lay down to eat. Yeah, they would lay down and I think that's hilarious. That's a- <laughs> That's how I want to eat. That's how I want to eat, too. I mean, honestly, sometimes that's how I do eat, but on the couch. Um, That is so funny. Yeah. I love it. So we don't know why, but Mary just takes probably what was her inheritance worth literally a year's wage. And it's this fancy perfume imported from northern India. And she, like, lets her hair down, which, by the way, is is not okay in their culture because it's just too intimate and she starts dousing his feet with the perfume and pouring it all over him and wiping it up with her hair and like putting it on his head and this is symbolizing because this is obviously what you would do when you're embalming a body like what they would do to kind of help prevent the smell is they would put perfume in there with it and so it's cool because she's definitely a part of foreshadowing his death and wow i think it's so interesting there's been two sides to every story that jesus has looked at and Hmm. in this case it is mary versus judas in terms of how Hmm. to serve love and interact with jesus so um Okay, let me read this little part from my study Bible. So this is talking about when she anointed his feet. Attending to the feet was the work of servants. So Mary's actions show humility and devotion. Her wiping of Jesus' feet with her hair is also remarkable since Jewish women rarely unbound their hair in public. Her actions indicate an expression of intense personal devotion to Christ. No hint of immoral thoughts and or conduct should be read into her actions. So I think she's literally just saying, I am devoting all of myself to you. I love you fully. And I'm like humbly here before you. And then in response, Judas says, we should have sold this and given it to the poor. And the interesting thing is he's obviously trying to appear holier than thou. Right. He's trying to say the right things. But John, the author says he said this not because he cared about the poor but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag he used to help himself to what was put into it the thing i wrote down about this was mary gives her all Hmm. humility devotion and intimacy and judas uses jesus to seem good but is self-righteous well and the thing is i think that we can all be both yes totally in, in any given day We're all going to face that temptation to use Jesus and his name and his message for our own purposes. It's really humbling to like Judas is using Jesus and that comment to be like, see, look, I'm holier than thou. But Mary is like just coming to Jesus and literally laying everything she has, like probably her most expensive item at his feet. Yeah. And, like, I think the humility part of how Mary approaches Jesus is really important for us to remember. I agree. Because it says, even just, like, within this chapter, Jesus talks about, I have not come to judge but to save. We talk about that again and again and again. He comes here to meet with us knowing exactly how we are and who we are. And so it's not to shame anybody at all like for having that tendency to use Jesus for our own purposes but it's like the awareness of it so that you can continually give yourself back to him and like 
ask him to work in your life. So I'm going to really summarize the rest. There's a couple little pieces I will read here and there. But as soon as Lazarus was raised from the dead, the Pharisees started freaking out. More and more people, both Jews and Gentiles. So this is kind of a big turning point where a lot of other people who are not Jews are yeah. coming to Jesus. The word is spreading about Jesus and it's spreading fast. Like no longer right. is it like, oh, he's just this guy doing this thing. Like, no, it's spreading and people want to know more about him. So the Pharisees decide that they've already decided they have to kill Jesus, but now they've decided they have to kill Lazarus too, because he's just too much proof that Jesus is who he says he is. And that's kind of what leads us into what they call the triumphal entry, which is where we see our Palm Sunday tradition come from. Mm -hmm. So this is at verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went down to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your King is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So they're talking about how Jesus is fulfilling prophecy after prophecy and like we've said before, the miracles, John calls them signs because they're signs that he's the Messiah, that he's the fulfillment of all of these prophecies and that he's God. So he sits on a donkey and rides into town. Um, so then basically some of the Gentiles come to some of Jesus' followers and ask to meet with him. This kind of wraps up the end of this chapter. So we're going to focus in on these few things that he says. So we're going to start at verse 24. Jesus has just said the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. And he's saying this to Philip and Andrew. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Let's go back to the wheat. Unless a grain of wheat falls onto the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So basically what he's saying is if you take, like, think about wheat. Maybe you don't know what wheat looks like, but... Google it if you I'm need sure to. I'm sure people like know a... what wheat looks like. It's like that grass and it's got the little flaky things on the top. Exactly. So there's like a big strand of grass, one big one. And then the flaky things on top, those are like a grain of wheat. So okay. each stalk has a bunch of grains of wheat. Okay. So if you, say you pluck one of those out, you could like wrap it up and keep it in a dark place or whatever, uh -huh. and it would probably last forever. Like, it would never die. Wow. It would never really break down, It, but it also wouldn't, it wouldn't create anything. Yeah, it wouldn't reproduce. It would just stay the same. But if you plant it in the ground, it essentially dies because it disintegrates, breaks down, and grows into more strands that have all the seeds on top and then they blow into the wind and it creates an entire harvest. Mm. So it's 
very much a picture of what he is going to do. Mm. But I think we take this image and apply it to our lives too, because the next verse he says in verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it. Right. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Those feel like instructions. Mm. Yeah. You know, so like whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Everything in the world tells us store up what you can keep for yourself here. Get yourself a nice house, like build up your career. This is what will define you. Yeah. Protect yourself. And yeah. And he's saying, you know what? When he says hates life in this world, I don't think that that means hate your life. I think what he's saying is whoever sees that you exist outside of what is in this world. To me, actually, like the first thing I thought, he's literally saying, you're going to pour all of your time and effort into something that's temporary. Yeah. Like you can pour everything that you have into this life. And then as soon as you die, it's gone. Hmm. When you're so focused on your earthly possessions and worldly things, time and life slips away. And then, yeah, when you when you die, it's gone. Yeah, my study Bible here says, um, loves his life means delights in his life in the world, in this world more than in God and hates his life in this world means by contrast thinks so little of his life and so much of God that he's willing to sacrifice it all for God following Christ entails self self sacrifice. So yeah, I think that he's asking his disciples to have some perspective. He's saying, you know, you guys are human and your nature is to think present your nature is to be like sheep. And he's saying, hey, I want to give you the key to a fulfilled life. And it's basically that you love me so much that the material things that happen here on this earth don't matter to you as much as the eternal things that are happening. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like in comparison. I right. feel like it's not as much saying, oh, I hate my life. As it is saying, compared to how much I love Jesus and how much I long for life with him, it looks like I hate my life. Whenever Jesus talks about eternal life, I've always thought about after death. And I think it's not been until this study, as we're looking through John, that I've realized just how much Jesus believes in eternal life right here, right now as well. Um... He's trying to instill in his disciples and therefore us as well, his followers, an eternal mindset. Mm -hmm. And so he's telling us over and over again the things that actually matter versus the things that don't actually matter. He's trying to free us up from anxiety and worry and materialism and all the things that put a drain on what actually matters eternally. And it's just so crazy that he goes to such lengths to try to help us understand simply that he wants us to have a full life with him and an intimate relationship with him and that it just looks like being with him. So it's obviously very against the grain 
to make your whole life about God. And it's very easy to make your whole life about work. Like if you think about it. Or about yourself. Right. If if you think about your conversations with most of your friends, you're talking about your kids. No, no, no. Y'all aren't. (laughs) Sorry. You're (laughs) You're talking about your school, your job, maybe your family, maybe your boyfriend. Maybe Maybe your maybe goals. Date nights, yeah, maybe date nights. It, it's so normal and, and accepted and socially what we all do to talk about all of those things, the life that we're building here. And I've talked about this with my Bible study a lot. It's actually so not normal and so not socially accepted to talk about spiritual things. That's why mm-hmm. Bible study this year became so life-giving because finally it was an acceptable space for everyone to talk about their hearts and their spiritual life and and their questions and just learning to pray together and all these things that really filled them up and also connected them with each other. Because like we've talked about tons and tons, Jesus wants us linked with our Christian community. And so I just think that it's, there's tons of evidence that, these things that we live for day to day are not fulfilling and that these things that, that Jesus right. <laughs> is pointing us towards are so fulfilling, but it's still hard for us to actually do it. Isn't that crazy? It's really hard and it is crazy, but it's important to remind ourselves and to give ourselves grace for the times when we don't do that. Yeah. And that's honestly part of the reason why we first started this podcast and that is to make it normal to talk about the Bible and Jesus and spiritual things and our walk with God and that hopefully that you would experience God through that and it would be life-giving to y'all. So I just encourage you this week to have one conversation with your friends or family about your relationship with God. No, it's not like actual homework. If you don't do it, then that's okay. But just something to think about, like, what does it look like for you to incorporate that into your life with your friends and your family? But yeah, that's all that I have for y'all today. Do you have anything else, Anna? No, I don't. I think that's awesome. Okay. Well, um, don't forget, we've started a new thing. They are devotionals, five to 10 minutes long on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And you're going to hear from a lot of different voices, mostly not us. So check back in on Tuesday at 8 a.m. See ya. See ya. Bye.